This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. One of the things that I think we should do more on Asians Represent is think about the kinds of questions that we get asked a lot. And uh, a lot of people demand a lot of emotional and intellectual labor of like creators of color. I was just like, is this bad? Is this good? I had somebody, I had somebody message me on Twitter and say, okay, well, if I want to try doing an adventure in Caratour in D&D, what should I call the language? And they gave me three modern languages and they were like, should I do this? And they're trying to tell me what Cantonese is. And then <laughs> should I do this? And they were trying to tell me what Mandarin is. And then they said, should I do this? And then it was like Korean. Um, and a part of me is like, okay, I think our content for 2022 needs to revolve around common questions that we get asked, hot topics, obviously. And of course, you know, highlighting voices who have not been on the show. Um, so I think we're, we're kind of starting off with, uh, with all three of those for this episode, um, now, before we dive into, you know, the topic at hand, you know, cultural appropriation, cultural exchange, and, you know, sort of the representation of, of peoples through their cultural markers and artifacts, uh, I think it's, you know, important for us to, you know, introduce our, our guests, starting with our new guest, our the f- first appearance on Asians Represent. Uh, Pooja, do you want to do like a, a little intro, a spiel? Who are you? And where can people find you on the internet? Well... Hello, I am Pooja, and you can find me on Twitter at LADACGirl, that's L-A-D-E-S-I girl, and pretty much all the other socials as Forgotten Saves. <laughs> um, I, in my, you know, non-internet life, work in film and television production. I'm currently the assistant prop master on a um, television show on the CW, and my background in terms of like costuming and cosplay is both that I personally cosplay and I have made, I have worked as a um, costume construction artist on um, a lot of different stuff, making recreations and things like that. So I have made cosplay for other people. Costume construction artist. That's the first time I've ever heard that. That sounds so legit. Just made it up. <laughs> it sounded really good. It sounded really good. You were like, yeah, I'm a costume construction artist. So I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's, my first question was like, what famous costumes have you constructed? In my head, I was like, this is so, this is so neat. Um, well, but yeah. I mean, I did get to make like a, um, I made a, a Han Solo for Seth Green and Camille Mangiani. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Wait, first of all, can, can you can you elaborate on that? <laughs> well, this is way back in the day. This is so long ago. It might as well not even exist in internet terms. But Nerdist used to do uh, Course for the Force. They did web series that introed that, and there was a whole thing. And um, one of their episodes was... Um, 
Seth and Kamel like wanting to audition for the new Star Wars. So I was hired to make their costumes. Um, which is always fun because when I make costumes for like from movies and things like that, I get a little like just just a little obsessive about the details. So you know, they were as perfectly screen accurate to a new hope as I could make them. That's so cool. That's so cool. So <laughs> cool. That's so cool. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun and it was a really great experience. They are both very good to work with. Kamal is somebody that I really want to meet. I actually just rewatched um The Big Sick uh like 2 days ago. Um fantastic movie if any of you mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. Um but wow, that that kind of threw me off. That that's really cool. <laughs> that's super neat. Um and like you're coming you, in strong. <laughs> Coveted Strong, I'd be like, speaking of Coveted Strong, I see that that the Ares cosplay is uh, that you got you're working on in I the mean, background. So good. So oh, good. Thank you. Right? I didn't mean to deflect. No, keep keep complimenting her. No, 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 seriously. Like, it's so funny. I feel like I need to Coveted Strong because I'm with like a titan in the industry right now. Excuse me? Titan is the word I would use. Yeah, absolutely. Titan is 100% gonna, the word I would use. I'm going to go... Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, de- definitely Titan. I mean, like, for those who are just joining Asians Represent in 2022, maybe this is their first episode and they don't know the, the evilest, cleverest dog. Um, Isa, who, who are you? Where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> what do you do? Why do you have this dope Aries cosplay that I purposefully framed in your in the overlay. <laughs> also so purposefully framed for this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, hi, I'm Isa. Uh, I go by Evil Clever Dog on the internet, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I'm a, uh, my professional background is I'm a designer for set, costume and props uh, and armor and masks and all sorts of, all sorts of fun things um, for theater and screen. Uh, and I'm also a cosplayer. I've been cosplaying since I was like 14, a million years ago. Um, and have also done like professional cosplay work with companies like Bethesda. Um, and pretty soon I'm also going to be training to be a prosthetics effects artist, which I'm very excited yes, Congratulations about. on that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. I'm so hyped. Um, so yeah, I, I very much approach this topic from like the perspective of someone who works in the design field. Uh, and someone who's cosplayed and done that as both a hobby and uh, professionally to a certain extent as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. I'm the one who likes to talk about how costume has meaning on Twitter and everyone gives me shit for it. <laughs> oh, I, I, but I so feel important. that. I feel that. I think it's my like past couple of years it's been like Daniel upsets like white gamers of the internet once a year and gets flamed <laughs> yeah. for like a month. Um, yeah. I mean, like the point you you. (laughs) can't catch it up. No, no, this isn't a race. Because I mean, like, I mean, the the thing you pointed out was like super valid. And I mean, it's kind of related to this episode, right? I guess Isa famous for calling out Critical Role on their (laughs) strange colonialist. Yeah. Yeah. Take on discussion that may well come up today because I feel like it is pretty relevant to be honest yeah Um, it definitely is i think the thing with like you know if people are looking at the title of this and you know we're talking about cultural appropriation 
But Critical Role, they're not appropriating other cultures. They're just dressing <laughs> as the people who appropriated the cultures and stole the cultures. Um, yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, it's re- related to the conversation at hand. Yeah, um, definitely. But one of the things that, you know, I think is really important with an episode of Asians Represent is that we kind of set a baseline on, you know, where we're kind of uh, framing the conversation. Right? We're talking about really one thing and it's cultural appropriation. What is it? And like, how do you identify it? Right now, I, I'd love to kind of pose this question to to the, the three of you. Um, just like, you know, like what what is cultural appropriation? What do we kind of look for when we're identifying cultural appropriation? Because it's a word that is thrown around a lot on the internet. Um, It's thrown around a lot when people are talking about clothing, when people are talking about jewelry, thrown around a lot when people are hair, makeup. I didn't think about makeup, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Makeup. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And even like, Let's let's even throw it out there to like social media handles, right? Yeah. Usernames. I mean, one of the the biggest gamers is called Ninja, and he's yeah. a, he's a he's a white dude, uh, and his whole brand and his aesthetic is all based on basically the the eighties Ninja craze. Mm. Um, so like, but these are all like a wide array of things. So mm. how do we kind of what 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 do these all have in common? Uh, for for me, when it comes to like cultural appropriation, it's it's basically the the use of cultural signifiers in a case where there is an imbalance of power. So okay. when we're talking about say ninja, we're talking about a white dude with a huge platform profiting off of another culture. Uh, yeah. When we look at um, you know, often we see this with like white celebrities or like uh, Ariana Grande, and I think of that music video for Seven Rings. Uh, kind of appropriating Asian culture. Um, we have this individual using cultural sort of iconography from a position of power, but also in a position that does not acknowledge the context or the origin um, to you know what they are actually conveying to their audience. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, it's often power and lack of context uh, yeah. is what I kind of look for in that. And obviously there's nuance to it, but I'd love to know like what, what the rest of you folks think when you know we say cultural appropriation what's like the first thing that comes to your mind i i definitely agree with you that in terms of cultural appropriation as we think of it in a negative way um definitely has an association with there being a power imbalance between the two groups where the culture is being exchanged because something that i think often gets missed is that cultural appropriation or cultural exchange can be a neutral thing or even a positive thing. Um, But the way in which the conversation is usually being framed is to put that in and talk about the negative aspects of that. And that is very much like, it's not just the act of wearing clothing from a culture that you don't belong to. It's everything else around that in terms of like the historical context of that culture having that action done to it multiple times, that culture being oppressed by the culture that's appropriating its clothing. Uh, People from that background being thought of negatively for wanting to display their their own like hairstyles, makeup, tattoos, clothing from their own culture. I think we think about like how, for example, uh, 
black hairstyles are thought of as like inappropriate in the workplace, quote unquote, but when a white celebrity dons them in a music video, suddenly they're like cool. <laughs> um, that is a power imbalance where black people can't express their own culture through something like hair or clothes, but other people are lo- lauded for it. Um, so yeah, I also think about the like the power imbalance at play when it comes to a negative aspect of cultural appropriation. Yeah, uh, Steve. Yeah, I, I th- this is this is really interesting for me because, you know, what is cultural appropriation? The way it, the way I typically engage with that term is people come to me and they're like, "Hey, Steve, is X Y Z is that cultural appropriation?" And they're looking for like a very specific yes or no, black and white binary kind of answer. And what I try really hard to do with people like that is kind of deconstruct it. I do talk about power a lot when these conversations come up who benefits, who doesn't benefit, how do other factors affect this entire thing? And generally what it comes down to is when I ask, get asked this question, people want to just give me the stamp of approval saying that you're not a racist. Um, and that's typically where that's coming from, which is admirable. I do admire people who actively try not to be racist. That's cool. Um, but I think that this term kind of to the beginning point here, often gets used a little too much in ways that aren't especially helpful for conversations, especially if our goal here is to deconstruct and talk about the actual harm that can happen when certain signifiers, cultural markers and whatnot are used in very specific ways to perpetuate harm and to reinforce uh, stereotypes and, stru- and uh, power imbalances in our in our society. That was a lot of words, I'm sorry. No, no were, make were, that was a lot of great, <laughs> a lot of great stuff there. Uh, Pooja, how about you? Yeah, I think we all have said about like the power imbalance is huge there. And also in terms of like, especially commercially, how when something veers into appropriation versus like an appreciation or just like a melding of cultures is what is how people view the group where that comes from using those markers. Um, And you see it a lot like with fashion where trends and specific markers are taken from other groups and brought into white culture but then they're literally stealing them from the artists who are part of that culture and so those artists don't profit off of their own designs and their own wares but they're taken by other companies and mass produced and and made kind of like sanitized for a, a like especially a western white audience mm-hmm. um so i tend to look at stuff like that or if you and i know this is something that we're going to talk about later but like how much of this culture are you just using for the aesthetic and are you using those markers as props or as background dressing for mm-hmm. something entirely different mm-hmm. yeah and are yeah, you changing the-, the meaning it's supposed to have in that culture to something else that's maybe negative or mm-hmm. just just strips of its original strips it of its original meaning like yeah. i think about um uh for example in um firefly how all the uh companions i think was that what they were called the, the prostitute characters all yep. wore like south asian clothing so not only are i'm pretty sure none of the actresses playing those characters actually south asian but the show is making a connection in people's minds that Lenga's South Asian clothing equals a prostitute. 
and there's nothing wrong with sex work, obviously, but the but there is a certain like cultural association with that in media at large, and the way the show treated those characters ones were particularly great either. So it makes a connection in the audience's head that ends up shedding a negative light and changing the meaning of that clothing from what it was originally. Yeah, yeah and especially but, when yeah. you talk about fetishization. Fetish- I can't say it. Fetishization. When you talk about fetishizing South Asian women and, and East Asian women, um, I know y'all have talked about that a lot, mm. that clothing is a large part of that. And subverting traditional South Asian clothing to be more sexualized. Mm-hmm. Like like in when y'all were talking, um, Issa brought up the a really, really great points about the belly dancer costume mm-hmm. and what right. that means mm. and what that has come to mean now. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it feeds yeah. into the perpetuating the idea of brown women, Asian women as being inherently sexual, exotic, objectified, um, and yeah, I think the other aspect of cultural appropriation there is how it how the sing that single act of appropriation um, feeds into a wider understanding and a wider like misunderstanding of certain cultures uh, and like a wider perception of those people based on you know an isolated incident of a a costume designer deciding to dress a group of prostitutes in lengos may not seem like individually it matters, but when wider culture generally consistently sexualizes and exoticizes and fetishizes South Asian women, then it's feeding into a wider problem. And that's also something that I think often gets missed is people like to think of these as like isolated incidents and isolated things that don't have wider repercussions and don't have a connection to a broader history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd say like uh sort of like cultural appropriation and the, the use of these sort of cultural markers divorced from their sort of origin uh, is a, is a pattern. Uh, yeah, it's a cycle. Exactly. It's reinforcing, you know, these sort of um, these tropes in media, right? If you yeah. like Firefly is a great example, right? They wanted mm-hmm. to have the, they wanted to show a world where America and China are the two superpowers. So it makes sense that like, oh yeah, there would be lots of Asian stuff, but there are never any Asian people on screen. First yep. of all. Oh, they just hired um, a yeah. white actress. But they wanted to swear on Asian, cable TV. So like they were insulting. like, we're just going to have, we're, yeah, we're just going to have like, oh, they're just going to have these outlandish Asian curses because they can do mm. that on cable TV. Um, but then we're going to have these companions, but we're going to kind of make them look like like they're going to have South Asian clothing, but we're, we're basically going to imply that they're geishas, which isn't even Chinese. And, yeah. Yeah. A, and then you just whole see characters like this now in other forms of media. You see it in cyberpunk media. Let's just talk about Blade Runner um, mm-hmm. or anything like that, um, where just like, Asian culture in <laughs> cyberpunk is basically just used as an aesthetic now yeah. For, yeah. for the world of cyberpunk. It's, it's a mm-hmm. signifier of cyberpunk now. Um, it's a way to for- signal to the audience that this world is different and exotic. Exotic. Um, yeah. And it's... And specifically to audiences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, Go ahead. That like, and specifically to Western audiences that... that American Western culture has been taken over 
yes by asians by like the titans of asian industry have subsumed american production which like cyberpunk comes out of that like great scare of japanese products from the 80s mm-hmm. like that's like the roots of that are inherently anti-asian mm-hmm. and i don't yeah. think you can really divorce that so as much from from what the aesthetics of cyberpunk are today like as people think you can <laughs> yeah i mean even if you compare japanese cyberpunk to western cyberpunk <coughs> they are profoundly different right oh yeah you look at like ghost in the shell you look at Appleseed. You even look at something like Acura, which is also like cyberpunk, and they are aesthetically, thematically very different from Blade Runner, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other like big Western cyberpunk things, and I'm just like, phew, I think I think Ghost in the Shell is a really good example because you get to see the Japanese creators their lens on it in the anime, and then when you watch the Scarlett Johansson. Uh, version, you can see how Western audience views the exact same story, but they have changed it completely. And that lens has kind of changed the story in a way that obviously Western audience more resonate with, but it's completely different. Um, I think the most succinct way I can s- describe Ghost in the Shell and the difference is that the original one, the creators love their city. They clearly think it's beautiful. It's not perfect, obviously, but like there's a beauty to it. And then in the Western version, they hate the city. They they can't stand it. it the aesthetic, the, the Asian aesthetic, it's a bad thing and they want to remove it. It's awful. Yeah. I think a really good example of how you can kind of engage in these sort of genres but divorce them from the tropes that are meant to be signifiers of them or at least the cultural signifiers of certain cyberpunk tropes is Deus Ex. Um, Deus Ex Human Revolution and Deus Ex Mankind Divided are two Western cyberpunk games that do not lean on the Asian aesthetic to convey and communicate to the audiences that this is a work of cyberpunk. Um, Also the first Deus Ex of the remake, uh, uh, Human Revolution has great examples of um, uh, West and South Asian representation and Muslim representation actually in its characters. Um, Great games, really interesting. Honestly, you know, I think we are going to do an episode on Cyberpunk again this year to kind of coincide with the release of the new Magic the Gathering set, because that in and of itself has a lot of nuance to talk about. There's some good things. There's some definitely problematic things. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of move away from Cyberpunk to talk about the reason why we're here and to talk about clothing, gar- garments. Um, I, I Actually, you know, it's funny, Steve, you are wearing the outfit that I first met you in. That is how I first met Steve. The first time Aww. ever. That is what Steve looked like. Um, the the difference was I was wearing the red mask with the eyes yes. whited out. I'm not wearing it because uh, it's kind of rude to just not show your eyes. <laughs> so I didn't want to freak anyone out today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, a good, probably a good one. I yeah. mean, it still looks great. Um, Thank you. But, you know... Talking about costumes and media and stuff like that is is one thing, but but our audiences, you know, it's comprised of people who like to go to conventions, uh, you know, participate or watch TTRPG streams and things like that. Um, so I, I'd like to focus on on that scale of costuming, 
and cultural appropriation. Because Izzo, you you posted a topic, um, and I'll, I'll read it out specifically how, how you exactly how you said it. Oh no, which one and, is this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought all the things you said were great. You said, you know, is it okay for a white person to cosplay a POC character? How can this be done respectfully? And please, cosplayers, stop race facing and eye taping. I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> um yeah, there's there's, a, there's there are there are there are multiple topics to talk about there um but for one is like you know when we look at you know the listeners of asians represent and the people who talk about us online we get folks who are of course asian um but we also get people who enjoy our content because it's educational and it's kind of pointing out a lot of the blind spots that they have and for folks who like to cosplay as their you know their D D characters or be on streams. A question that's always going to come up is, well, what if I'm, what if I'm white, but my character is like South Asian? Cause that's where our game is set or, Hey, you know what they release? A, it's called Marquette, right? That's the critical role, the campaign. Yeah. Setting. So they release a Marquette campaign setting book. Uh, and well, all of our characters are, we're playing a story in there and I want to cosplay as my character. Mm. is that okay so i think there's actually sort of there's sort of two questions in there then because that also kind of crosses over into the topic of white people playing characters of color in ttrpgs which is a similar but also different topic that kind of deserves its own discussion um which i don't know if we want to get into uh given that that's not the topic but in general like my my personal thoughts on it are and this is something i've seen uh I've seen other people of color, like generally having the similar kind of feelings, but of course it's not like we're not a monolith. Other people can have other opinions, of course. Um, but the approach that I've generally seen being taken is that a white person can cosplay a character of color, but there are certain things you should not do. <laughs> do not race face. Do not darken your skin with makeup or photo editing to try and make yourself look darker skinned than you are or have different features than you have. Um, and don't, you know, eye tape to make yourself look like you have East Asian eyes, for example. Uh, don't adopt an offensive accent, stuff like that. Um, and then like generally, yeah, I don't care if a white or light skinned person wants to cosplay Cora or Michonne from The Walking Dead or Storm or whatever. But there are also some characters and costumes which have a bit more of like a complicated history around them and I know that people very often I think as Steve mentioned earlier kind of want like a definitive black and white is this racist is this not racist answer and sometimes when it comes to certain characters and costumes there's more like complexity to it and people don't really like to hear that but for example with characters like um like Pocahontas or Esmeralda, like the Disney character versions of them, there's a lot of complicated feelings from like indigenous and Romani people about the portrayals of those characters and the costumes that they wear and how sexualized they are. Um, and a lot of people I have seen, because it's obviously not my experience, but I have seen within the cosplay community, a lot of people from those backgrounds talking about how they really don't like to see white people cosplaying those characters, even if they don't race face for it. But just because there's such a complex history around the characters and their costumes specifically. Um, and then there are also characters who incorporate 
elements of like real world um cultural signifiers costume tattoos hair and stuff into them say like maui from moana um like the tattoos he has are, are like from that actual culture and have a meaning and stuff like that and so then is it appropriate for someone who isn't from that culture even if they're not white even if they're another person of color to then put those tattoos or a piece of clothing or whatever on um and literally treat it as a costume like there is more complexity to it um so and i think that discussion could be wanted, interesting so i kind of wanted to ask a quick question so when you say race facing what do you mean by that? Because you, you've used oh. you've, you've used that a lot, right? Um, yeah, sorry. For I, members of the I, audience, you might be like, "What does that term mean?" Yeah, I I use it as a catch-all. Um, the term people might be used to hearing is black facing, um, and there are like other terms like brown facing, for example, when it's like you know a, a brown character as opposed to a black character. So I I personally use the catch-all term race facing for the act of someone altering their skin or features to try and emulate the the features or skin of a race that they are not. Um, and before anyone asks, because it always gets brought up, no, painting yourself green or blue or purple isn't the same. You can paint yourself green to cosplay Gamora. That's fine. Because green aliens don't Morris, exist, <laughs> as far as we know. That we know like, of. That we know yeah. of. Um, it's when it's a it's when it's related to like a real group of people who've experienced real harm and prejudice for the color of their skin or their facial features. And you are turning that into a costume and blackface race face can't be divorced from the history that surrounds it. There is a long history of like minstrelsy race face in like religious festivals in Europe, because people like to think it only happens in America. It doesn't guess where y'all got it from. Um, and using that to mock people of color, using it to stereotype them, using it to prevent them from getting work in the entertainment field by having a white actor black up instead of hiring a black actor, for example. Um, and that didn't just happen like 80 years ago. Like we know from like onset testament testimony that that happened on the set of like the Disney Aladdin movie. They were browning up white actors to be extras in that movie. So it's something that still affects real people today. I did not know that. That happened on the... For, that, that, that We're talking about like the Guy Ritchie Aladdin movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Whoa. happened... It happens on television a lot. Like, mm. there was a show I worked on um, that... Just not going to get into it. But <laughs> we had a lot of extras who were playing, like, on a whole other level, like, playing Middle Eastern terrorists. <laughs> Most of them are white. <laughs> like, so besides, like, clothing, blah, 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 you saw a lot of people, um, and it happens a lot for stunt actors, mm. when they need to look more like a the actor that they're portraying, will completely, you know, rather than hiring someone who looks more of that ethnicity, they will mm. brown up a white actor. Or a white stunt person. Yeah, or they'll just yeah. cast it's... someone like Emma Stone to play an Asian person. <laughs> but, you know, Oof. that's a completely yeah, different it's, topic. It's disappointingly still more commonplace than I think people assume it is. Like, movies released within the last 10 years, TV shows that were released within the last 10 years, still doing it. Um, like, it, it was still commonplace in, like, in theatre and opera productions in certain parts of Europe until 
like not that long ago as well um so yeah it it's not just something that happened in the past and we can just like cut that off now now it has no meaning anymore even if we weren't still even if it wasn't still that commonplace in tv and film and theater like it still has cultural baggage associated with it and real harm that comes with that um so it still wouldn't be appropriate even if it weren't still disappointingly commonplace but it is still disappointingly commonplace so i have a question about a particular example of this in media and and i'd love to know what you folks think of it so have you folks all watched community mm-hmm. yep so you know in the D episode when ken oh, jong yeah, yeah. does blackface because he's a drow and then they call him out for it mm. what are your thoughts on that because that's something that I'm sure happens at people's tables when they're pretending to be a drow. And if they do dress up, they'll do the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm sure tons of people have done that. So but how do you think they handled that on that on that particular scene in the show? I think there was room. I, I desired more from the overall commentary of it. So there is a great article by James Mendez-Hodes called The Giant Robot of Offense. It's basically when you design any text, any art, there are ways you could construct it. And although you can, you know, build these like great set of legs so your robot doesn't fall over, it doesn't prevent it from necessarily falling over due to anything else and hurting someone. You can build it with a great set of legs and like a great torso and like now it's sturdy, but it can still fall over and really hurt someone. You have to go through multiple layers to make sure that the text you create can't be used to harm other people. And that is really, really difficult to do. I think community had put some great legs on the conversation potentially there was a torso there but there was no head there was no mind there to help actually people understand the joke that was happening why it's a joke and why and the impact it was having on every single person at the table and why it's important to dissect that it's a 20 minute show so do i think they had the time to do it no but all the more reason not to do it right Mm, but that's that was my take on that yeah. yeah, I think Community is an interesting show in general because, like, I remember watching it when it first came out and feeling like it was a really progressive show. And then in more recent years, when I've rewatched it, I've it noticed hold up. it. Do- yeah, like it's still. I it still find a lot up. of it funny. I still think it's very well written. But the way, like, say, like, queer people are handled in it. There's a lot of homophobia. There's a lot of transphobia, um, and I think especially the character Shirley is particularly underserved and she's the character in that scene who points out the, the race facing. Um, And yeah, I feel like a lot of the time Shirley as a character wasn't given a lot of space to be as like fully explored and empathized with in, in, in a lot of ways as other characters. And I feel like maybe that's like, kind of a side effect of that that she's just there to call out the issue and then it's kind of brushed away um yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah, if that makes sense one of the i feel like i just rambled of, uh, <laughs> no i think i think you pointed out one of the problems of like ensemble tv shows where mm-hmm. characters often get reduced to like a particular function within the overall mm-hmm. narrative right you look at the you look at the office right mm-hmm. And there are so many characters there that are extremely underdeveloped uh, throughout the nine seasons of the show. But then you go and you look at a show like Parks and Recreation, where they slowly started to develop all the characters. Now, the characters of color, not all of them got like the sort of big narrative arcs that the white characters got. 
Um, mm-hmm. But you could tell that they were trying. Um, but yeah, uh, Pooja, what, what do you think of that that scene from Community? Because I know that's going to come up in conversations. Yeah, definitely. And and I really agree that like it's something to be said about the fact that like when Community came out and when that scene came out, our conversation was in a very different place. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, personally, that's how I feel about it. I guess like part of it is that my own understanding of what these issues are and how they impact me and how they impact other people like, having that awareness wasn't at the same place that it is today. But also that like you see it a lot in television is they want to like hit those markers. They're like, oh, well, let's make sure people know that we're anti-race facing, but also it's got to be funny. And also it's got to be. And so none of these like issues are really given any of the treatment and respect that they deserve Hmm. um and that's especially true when you talk about a 30-minute comedy but yeah like so comic shows in the u.s are 23 minutes long and then but hour-long network television shows are 42 minutes long you just without like actually going through and like looking at all the different layers it falls flat and it feels like you're trying to tick a box. And yeah, I guess to me, like that's what that scene felt like watching it when it did not come out because I did not watch it when it aired because I'm perpetually behind on television. Aren't <laughs> we all ironic as hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I remember watching that on TV when it first happened and I was just like, Oh, they had a D and D episode. And then like, Oh, they mentioned this drow thing. And then they kind of made a comment about it. And I was like, that happened. The fact that they made a comment about it at all was like, for me, mind blowing at the time. Now it's like, we, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And we could always say, you should have done that. You should have done that. Hmm. But um, yeah, I think one of my most, my favorite recent examples of a um, sort of a network TV, sh- like network TV show handling hard social topics and comedy at the same time is actually Superstore. Uh, I yes. don't know if you folks have watched that, but season yeah. six of Superstore is some incredible TV. And they did a whole episode where one of the characters, one of the black characters points out that like, hey, why are the black hair products locked up? And then the episode is literally about white management trying to put all of this emotional labor on the characters of color. Mm. And it is a very well done piece of TV very yeah. well done I, piece of TV. something i really loved i discovered superstore last year and binged it twice in a row like i loved it so much it's awesome um and i just loved how it, it managed to do like comedy where they were dealing with numerous social issues like that episode they have an entire arc about unionization they have an entire arc about uh, a character being deported and it's always funny but it's never the marginalized people who are the butt of the joke like the the topic is not the butt of the joke it, it's just yeah it's done really well um one of the most yeah. underrated tv shows in recent recent yeah. history for sure it's on netflix if any of you haven't seen it um but that said like oh, oh were you gonna say something Pooja? sorry i was just gonna say i think Isa brought up a, a really great point there in terms of like superstore not making the marginalized people or in the issues the butt of the joke like just bringing it up can't be your end game like having it happen and kind of lampshading it can't be the whole of what you're doing 
And in Superstore, it isn't. It's layered in with yeah. characters and an acknowledgement of those power structures. And that's what makes it so successful on so many different levels. And like something that I think in five and 10 years, we're not going to look back at and be like, it was real cool that they brought it up. Or at least I thought so at the time. <laughs> yeah. I think Superstore is a great time capsule of, mm. you know, our recent, you know, the re- the past decade. It's a great time capsule of what it was like, you know, to work in retail. It's a great time capsule of how sort of frontline employees had to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. They, they literally did the whole thing of like, you're heroes. They're like, what the fuck? No, we aren't. We can't get PPE. That was literally like a several yeah. episode arc in season six. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a whole lot of stuff to do with like the way they handle class as well as race and gender that just, they just handle it so well in a way that I don't, I don't know if I've seen another like sitcom <laughs> handle it that well. Uh, no, the only other time I can think of POC stories and um, on like comedy shows is that mm-hmm. really, really heavy episode of Hey Arnold. Um, oh, don't, I don't ask know if me you to remember Hey Arnold. <laughs> My memory is terrible. I don't remember uh, that. I believe it's Hey Arnold. <laughs> they, there was an episode where he's got a, um, his neighbor is Vietnamese and uh, had wanted to sort of leave Vietnam, but couldn't and gave his daughter to an American soldier who was leaving. And it was a whole episode about um, sort of American militarization um, and how families in American conflict zones get torn apart and how to, yeah, I I believe it was Hey Arnold. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it I is. I didn't have that on my bingo card for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> uh, it's the the episode is called Arnold's Christmas, because um, there is a recurring character who's Vietnamese, and it's just all a. It's a really heavy episode. Watch it at your own discretion, but it's another mm-hmm. example of how you could have signifiers of a fictional character's culture and tell a nuanced story about their experiences. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are you know. One thing that we see a lot, especially within the conversation about cultural appropriation, is the use of, you know, cultural markers and the markers of cultural identity without acknowledgement or without context. Mm -hmm. Um, One of you brought up The Witcher just before we started recording. That was was me. (laughs) Um, Recently traumatized person who watched The Witcher here. (laughs) And this is the thing that we, we kind of see is like, one important thing we observe a lot of, especially in like D and D, especially mm. in games media, is you see these cultural artifacts being used mm. without any sort of real context. It's like, yeah. oh, in D and D, you can get a katana, but that has like, there's no meaning associated with it. There. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, you just can go and go to any store and buy a holy symbol, um, <laughs> right? Or it, context is completely removed from the conversation. And mm. and Pooja, you mentioned this earlier, this idea of aesthetic over meaning. And that's kind of where I, I'd love to kind of guide the conversation because, you know, 
TTRPG artists out there, people who are GMs and are just trying to improv a scene. We tend to lean on these things that we've seen in our, you know, in our day-to-day lives or things that we've seen in media, even though we've already talked about the fact that there is this, this cycle of perpetuating stereotypes and harm. Mm. But what do, we, what do we do or what do we say or how do we have conversations about using signifiers of culture without meaning? How do how do we talk about that with our I mean, with our just, our game groups? Yeah, it's just so ingrained. That's the thing. That was that was why I was so shocked by The Witcher. Not even shocked, I guess, just exhausted, because it just reminded me of how all those all those issues of sexism, racism, ableism are so deeply entrenched in fantasy that even a show that declares itself to be diverse and about sticking up for the marginalized was so deeply sexist, racist, ableist, hateful towards mixed race people, utilized cultural signifiers from POC uh, cultures to, uh, it was for, as Pooja also talked about earlier, well, before we before we started recording, um, for the elves who are a subjugated fantasy race in in that show. And handing that, giving that to the elves specifically who are subjugated, but usually played by white actors. And it's just exhausting. I, <laughs> um, and I wonder if they did it because Yennefer is played by a half Indian actress and she's meant to be quarter elven oh, really? and that's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. Um, that's why I talk about the show being very hateful towards mixed race people is because of the way that character is treated considering who's playing her and her story. And it's just a whole thing that I don't know if you want me to start going into because I'll Because I feel like this forever. is the, this is the, this <laughs> is the exact same thing as the shadow and bone thing. Right? Yeah. It was, it was a lot, a lot similar. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and it's the idea too, that like, they're not just like, elves are not just marginalized, but they're also like in the Witcher mythos, like portrayed mostly as villains. Hmm. They are yeah. antagonists through a large part of the Witcher series, like as a whole, like when you're talking about both the video games and the show. And it's like, okay, so now you've given like your South Asian identifiers the clothing and like dress and fabrics to white actors who are then also portrayed as your villains. Like it's like layer after layer of like, why did you do this? Especially when you consider like the history of South Asia when it comes to colonization and how much of that had to do with taking Indian fabrics Mm -hmm. and destroying and dismantling traditional ways of making clothing and making fabrics in order to prop up British industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing is, um, oh, sorry, continue. Didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. It was just, I was just like, uh. <laughs> I know it's just it's just exhausting and I think, sigh take a, like, take a take a pause to sigh yeah like I remember when the whole thing with me wanting to discuss the issue with critical roles intro and them using the the colonizer hats and the colonizer outfits in their intro for their campaign set in the place that's like a mishmash of the Middle East and North Africa and South Asia and Turkey and just it's a mess but um <laughs> Was the thing that people said was like, it's just clothes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. And the thing is, is that it's not just clothes. Garments have meaning. 
just like all artistic and cultural endeavors have meaning to the people that they come from. Um, and I can't help but think about, there's a project I worked on recently, um, like an online education project around the opera Brunderbar, which was um, an opera that was written just before World War II by a Czech Jewish um, writer. And when that writer was um, taken to the Camp Teretzin, he ended up staging the opera there um, and children performed in it because it's written for children to perform. And the opera itself is very like nostalgic and pastoral in its style um, and very hopeful. And it was very much like the reason, the reason it was so popular and so beloved there and it gave people hope and meaning was because it allowed them to retain a sense of their cultural identity through the music that meant something to them and the theatre that meant something to them. So someone could say, well, it's just an opera or, well, it's just a costume or it's just a vase or it's just fabric or it's just this, it's just music, it's just that. But it has cultural meaning even more so when it's for a group that have been marginalised and oppressed because it's part of their cultural identity. It's part of how they are still able to try and express that identity and not lose it because part of the way in which like marginalization and genocide works is trying to eradicate not only the people but the culture and that's why it's so important and that's why we bring up topics like this to do with clothing and art and music is because it holds pieces of people's culture within it yeah absolutely yeah on, on one end there's that like wearing it without because you think it looks cool Right. There, there's that whole thing of wearing it because you think it looks cool. Um, but but then there's the, the other side of that is, you know, that that meaning that you mentioned. Right. You said that. And I thought you said something really powerful. And it's never just a piece of clothing. It's never just a fabric. It's never just a piece of jewelry. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to talk about is like, obviously this conversation could go on for hours. Like, honestly, we could just have a whole podcast just about cultural appropriation and the nuances of it. Like um, the, the key thing there is nuance, right? Um, we've seen examples of things that are very clearly like, this is wrong, right? Uh, like when in talking about the Witcher and the use of clothing there and talking about Firefly. Um, but then there are uh, elements of you know, the uh, discussion about cultural appropriation that are a little bit more gray. It's never this like black and white binary when we're talking about cultural appropriation. Um, one of them that I'd like to talk about, and hopefully this relates to um, that um, and just like that episode, Pooja, that, that you wanted to talk about as well, is, is the context in which people are trying to express their appreciation for cultural wear or a culture um, or, you know, the context in which someone is trying to adopt elements of, a, of you know, traditional culture. Uh, so for instance, like uh, the photo that I sent you folks in our chat is of me wearing a thobe and a keffiyeh. Um, mm. Me wearing that, just walking into a gaming convention, incredibly wrong incredibly wrong and that photo of me just wearing that you know maybe even taken out of context if it was just me and not my my other colleagues there if it was just me i feel like 
folks may also be like, oh, well, that's cultural appropriation. But in the context of that, I was in the country of origin, living in the country of origin, and encouraged by you know my local friends there to purchase that clothing and wear it to a wedding. Um, I actually got it tailored. Um, I got to pick like the fabric. It was awesome. Um, and it was like one of the most comfortable things I've ever worn. But I feel uncomfortable wearing it here because I am now wearing it as a as a garment of comfort rather than the real reason why I got it in the first place and why I was encouraged to wear it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing is said about folks who, um, you see this a lot in the States. Um, I don't know, maybe if I'm just like keenly aware of it, but a lot of like white teenagers wearing chi pao, that's like the, the Chinese, like uh, sort of the leg dress that you folks, like we see in media a lot, like mm-hmm. wearing those to prom. Just because yeah, they, that, they think... that was a thing in the UK as well. Yeah, is that a thing in the UK? <laughs> yeah, I remember it. <laughs> ugh, ugh. But that sort of thing is like, you see a lot of people who say like, oh, that's cultural appropriation. But you'll get folks in China who say, that's cultural appreciation because you are wearing our outfits. How do you have a conversation about that with your group? How do you, how do we ensure that we as a community have nuanced conversations about cultural appropriation versus appreciation and context how do we how do we ensure that we're just being respectful of different perspectives in these conversations so i think puja you said something earlier on in this episode that really resonated with me and it was about that community episode where you said that was how that was where our conversation was at that time and i think that applies to you know your your micro social circles as well because everyone's having this conversation at different points there's no real end goal. There's no real path you need to take, but it's always going to be at a very specific moment in time. And I think appreciating where you're at in that conversation right now with these people is is really helpful when it comes to the goal of growth. I think it's pretty safe to say that all of us did not just, you know, come here with talking points and ways to express our opinions and our emotions out of like whole cloth. It's a growth process. We fuck up a lot um (laughs) hopefully with people you trust and love um and together we kind of build this understanding and we listen to each other and the conversation progresses from there and then as we get more comfortable and and we feel more confident in our own uh, ideas identities opinions and feelings um, we can then bring in other people we trust and love and continue that conversation and then we start growing this whole big picture with the intent that everyone is going to be able to weigh in and talk and share and 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 grow the conversation that way so that's a really non-specific answer to your question but i would say (laughs) that my my suggestion for folks out there our listeners would be to start the conversation with people you love and trust be open be vulnerable and then let that kind of continue to grow foster that growth both within yourself and for the people you're talking to Mm. and like specifically to talk about like the what Daniel was talking about is that he had this traditional garb and it was mm-hmm. in context when you wore it, it was in context. And then mm-hmm. to wear it now would be to remove it from that context. And the same thing happens a lot when you talk about South Asian, specifically Indian um, garb in my circles where I grew up and I'm diaspora and I've was born and raised in the United States it has been incredibly common and it is 
appreciated on our side when people come to Hindu festivals like Holi, like Diwali, and take the time and take the effort to wear Indian clothing and what that represents. But it is the nuance there to like, okay, well, you're participating in what is still a South Asian Hindu, specifically when you talk about Holi and Diwali, celebration. It is a, You are participating in a celebration of that culture versus divorcing, say, when people wear like, you know, different aspects like, and you take iconography like Ganesh, like the iconography of Kali, um, because those are specific and still very like sacred. And you divorce those from the context that, that you start to wonder, it's like, okay, well, are you participating or are you taking, I guess, is the, is what I'm like, is a question to ask yourself, like, and then, and then too, like as a diaspora person and as part of a diaspora community, I find that I'm much more critical of when I see those kinds of representations um, of specifically South Asian clothing than say like people who, like my relatives who are still in India or even my mom who immigrated to this country. Every time, like, it does not matter, like, the quality of representation to her. She's still, like, super, super excited and happy to see anything. Yep. Yep. Um, but I think, like, as we grow in this conversation, like Steve said, that something that we all can ask ourselves when we're looking at, like, when we cosplay different characters is, okay, am I participating in something that lifts this culture up or am I taking it completely separate from what the culture was? Hmm. I think yeah. There's also an interesting layer there of firstly, a generational difference is that you know, the generation above us does have like, does kind of have a different scope on it where something my mum always talks about is how like they didn't really have the affordance to care about like those smaller signifiers and those smaller issues and microaggressions and stuff like that but now we do because the conversation has been able to move on slightly um and then there's also that thing of like people who are diaspora um maybe having a different view on it from people who still live in the country of origin because people in the country of origin see it all around them all the time and it's the culture at large there and so when but when you uh, are diaspora and you live somewhere else it you you do it does get treated differently where you are because you are the other um so i i but i think that also is like both of those are valid but i something i do dislike is when people try to hold up like okay well Chinese people in China say that this is okay or Japanese people in Japan say that this is okay therefore British Japanese people or American Japanese people can't complain um, because that's deeply unfair because those people while they do share a common ancestry live in different contexts and have a different um, see see that in a within a different like 
it affects them differently, basically. And and both are valid, but it, you can't use one against the other, I don't think. And I think that's something that maybe is important to make sure people are aware of when having those conversations. Yeah, I think uh, a, a recent example that you see on, um, saw on Twitter, um, actually, I, I did want to mention one thing first, um, mentioned that, you know, we need to view these as like, okay, this is this was a moment, right? You were viewing a moment in time, especially when it comes to media. Um, I, th- I think about because we mentioned the the Diwali episode of The Office. Um, I am a huge fan of The Office, both the UK and the American versions. I watch it several times a year. One of my favorite shows of all time. It has lots and lots of problems. There are so many things that are wrong with it. One thing that's really cool about the Diwali episode of The Office is that it was the first time that that celebration was ever shown on an American TV production. That episode was written by Mindy Kaling. Um, And there are so many things that actually happened in that episode that you folks mentioned, right? Um, Obviously the comedic element is that Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character thinks it's a costume party and comes with like a a literal costume and his girlfriend, Carol dresses up as a cheerleader. And just like, and it's the show so obviously pointed out as disrespectful. But another cool thing is that you see a lot of the, white cast members, the white characters going to, um, you know, uh, Kelly Kapoor's community's celebration wearing traditional garb um, because they are invited to do so. And there's a whole thing at the beginning of the cold open is all about them talking about how they look so handsome in this garb and how she's happy that they are appreciating her culture, which is really cool to see. Um also, I mean, that episode is another great example of, you know, the diaspora and how understandings of cultural celebrations and garb is so different. Because at the beginning of the episode, they're also asking Mindy Kaling's character, Kelly Kapoor, well, what is the story behind it? And she doesn't know. Um, and, and that is a, such a common thing. And one of the white characters comedically steps in and is like tell, talking about the story and everything like that. Um, Oh, then it's I my think, life. It's my life. Yeah, right. Not too real. <laughs> too real. But that's what makes it such a good episode. But there was a recent one um, that a lot of people were upset about. And it wasn't necessarily an issue of cultural appropriation, um, but it was more of an issue of how perspective can really cause a lot of, um, and if not handled correctly and not, you know, if people aren't aware of perspective can cause a lot of, you know, tension and vitriol on the internet. So uh, I don't know if you folks saw this, but uh, Marvel kind of unveiled all these different Captain Americas. And I didn't see this. Yeah. So uh, Marvel unveiled a whole bunch of um, Captain Americas. And one of them is, you know, uh, a femme Phil Am character. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is awesome. The name was a little weird. Um, But a lot of people were really excited for Ari, which is the name of this character. Uh, But then there were folks on Twitter who who live in the Philippines and are like, this character is bad because this is a a manifest, a representation of American colonialism Mm. and that that conflict between America and the Philippines. and there was this back and forth that you kind of witnessed on the internet of people being really upset and people saying, well, how dare you tell me that this thing that I really appreciate is bad. Mm. Uh, and this is something we also see, you know, 
in, in TTRPGs. It's this conversation or lack thereof or understanding of perspective. Hmm. Right. Um, and it, it's such a hard thing to actually engage in. Right. How do you like we, we are so trained to react on social media. We are so trained to think, well, my anger, my rage will garner me attention. So I'm going to be angry for the purposes of not only trying to educate people on an issue, because that's totally okay, because that's literally what our podcast is, right? That's the literal reason why we did Asia's Rate Oriental Adventures. That's why Al-Qadim happened. That's why we've done mm-hmm. so many of these things. But there are people who are, are being angry for attention and don't want to participate in a conversation. Yeah. Um, and there's also it, people who misread people simply wanting to like point out issues as being exactly. angry when they're not, which is what exactly to me. <laughs> Your critical role thing was the perfect example of that. You're yeah. very clearly like, we need to have a conversation about this. Yeah. Because I was calm the entire time. <laughs> you were so chill. Honestly, like but, but people like, were acting like I was frothing at the mouth, raging. Yeah. Like bad faith takes bad faith readings of things on Twitter is like a whole machine. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's how the alt-right make their money, basically. It's like, like feeding it's ra- the, ra- on YouTube and Twitter, feeding the algorithm. Yeah, by rage-baiting people and posting like a million angry videos about Captain Marvel or Anita Sarkeesian, and it still works. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I guess my question is really like, how do we in our friend groups, let's let's divorce this from Twitter and social media and even like the podcast Asians represent entirely. Mm. How do we have a conversation about perspective? How do we have a conversation about, you know, taking a step back before, you know, coming out with our opinion about something? How do we have a yeah. conversation about that? Right. Um, I mean, I think it's it's a lot easier on a in a space like this where we are you know, we're not in person together, but we are having a conversation face to face because I, you know, stuff, tone and intent can be completely misread in text form. And especially on Twitter where everything has to be so short form and you have to be able to, you have to try and like shrink and distill everything down to exactly what you mean. And people will still misread it. Um, because you don't have the space to account for every eventuality and every, little branch of that opinion and and so people will misread it as like well you don't care about this other issue that you didn't mention because it has nothing to do with this um but obviously we can't always have discussions like this and there are some people you wouldn't want to have discussions like in this kind of setting with because it might induce harm towards people um so i i don't i don't know but i think like being willing to (laughs) being willing to assume like I don't even want to say actually I don't even want to say being willing to assume good intent because sometimes you just can't that's the thing Um, because bad people can use that for their own gain so yeah I'm sorry I'm just rambling now no that's why I kind of that's why I kind of wanted to scale the question down to Mm. how do you do this in your friend group right Right, how do you how do you tell someone that like oh maybe you shouldn't be doing that Mm. right or like oh maybe this really interesting oversized hoodie that you got you probably shouldn't post about that on social media or at least um, just crop or, or at least just crop it out <laughs> right. of, 
like, like how you just drop it out like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you have those conversations or when should you have those conversations? Because there's also yeah. a thing to be said about, you know, maybe you're not the one who needs to speak up. Yeah. I think within, within friend circles, one thing that's often useful is trying to call in before you call out trying to if if one person say a ttrpg game table is like causing problems by doing something that's coming off as offensive like maybe try taking them aside one-to-one first or the person who has the issue with it like taking them aside one-to-one first um and i think having 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 been a player who tried to raise issues of racism at a table and wasn't listened to i think like having the backing of the GM is so like it helps so much. Um, so like one thing that could be useful is if it's two players who have are having the issue with one another, then the GM being there to try and like mediate it so that the person who's the marginalized person doesn't feel as though they're just going to get attacked and shouted over um, and trying to facilitate that in like a calm way. Um, Obviously, it won't always work, <laughs> but um, I think trying to approach it in a manner that is like careful and considered and doesn't put the person on immediate blast, but is still caring for everyone within that conversation um, can go a long way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think. Oh, go ahead, Pooja. Sorry. Oh, I mean specifically to when you're talking about your own friend groups, like one thing that has been good for me at least in the past is that like opening that making sure that all the parties realize that like what we need to have a conversation is about is nuance and context Mm. rather than like because you know people always come to you and they're like can I wear this is this okay and I'm like I'm not your mom nor am I some kind of like monolith for like South Asian diaspora to tell you what you can and can't wear. Mm. But, but like, why are you wearing it? When are you wearing it? Like that kind of stuff. Like if they just want to talk it out, like I'm there for them because they're my friends and I don't feel like this is because those are the relationships that I have where I don't feel like they're using me for labor in terms of like getting points. And that's obviously going to be a lot different when you talk about social media and extended groups and things like that, or in a professional setting. But, but just making sure that like, that it is a conversation and that you can talk about those larger issues and, and that the other party realizes that like, that we aren't a monolith and I'm not going to be able to give you some kind of blessing or blanket permission to do things. Yeah, for sure. Steve, how about you? I think I, I have two main thoughts. And one is that, you know, in your friends groups, there's all relationships are complex. There are a lot of entanglements and things like that. And that I think is a beautiful thing. And if you have someone who you really, really do love and they do something and you're you're made uncomfortable with it, it is totally valid to just not bring it up and, you know, figure out how you're going to navigate it in the future. Just because it happened right now, it doesn't mean you have to deal with it right now, nor is it your job to do that. Um, That said, if you feel like there could be a conversation to be had and there would be value out of it, I think that's when you kind of start approaching it. For my actual way I go about doing this because I have to visualize models and things like that. 
Um, I go with the the zone of proximal development, which is like an education term. The idea is that um, you can also look up constructivist learning. Um, the idea is that if you picture like a circle, you can picture that circle as everything that person knows, their experiences, their education, all that good stuff. And then everything outside that circle is stuff they just don't know. But there's like a very thin circle just outside of their knowledge called the zone of proximal development. And that is where they actually can grow. That is the possibility of growth. So when you're having the conversation, one way that I try to navigate it is I try to figure out where their knowledge is currently. And then all I'm going to do is I'm going to slightly challenge them in a direction that I think would be helpful for them. But I'm not going to push them too hard. I'm just going to start the growth process. And I'm going to start seeding that idea. And then from there, if they really do want to engage with this conversation and my help, I will help them grow at whatever rate is comfortable for them. Um, it's actually the, so there's a reason why I'm wearing this Red Hood costume. <laughs> so one way I could have this conversation with other people, primarily white people, is to talk about appropriating white culture and what that concept means. So Jason Todd is a white Robin uh, whose story kind of like sits inside prison complex ideas and, and whatnot. So if a person of color dresses up as Jason Todd, I'm a person of color, you know, have I appropriated it? How is that different than when, um, you know, a white person cosplays as a person of color? Is it different? And those questions might be right around that zone of proximal development. And that may be where I could, you know, foster some growth. So very complex way of saying it depends on the person you're talking to. But if you approach it and you listen very actively to where they're at right now, you can then foster growth in a new direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if we were to kind of uh, tie everything that we've talked about together, right? It's that, you know, in this conversation about cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation, and the, you know, the use of cultural signifiers, like visual cultural signifiers, I think one of the things that, I mean, if, we, if we're talking about a couple of key tips, key, key takeaways here, it's really like, like one of you said, uh, I believe that was that was you, you Puja, who said, "Are you if you're participating or taking, or was that you?" As I forget, it was just so profound in the moment. I was just like, oh. <laughs> um, but it's like you said, "Are you participating or are you taking?" And if you're taking, are you perpetuating harm, reinforcing stereotypes, or, or reinforcing power imbalances? So while yes, it is okay for you, uh, like. You not not you folks, but you as a uh, as a, like a person watching or listening to to try to cosplay as a, a character of color. There are things that you shouldn't do, and there are characters that are off limits, right? Um, there are. Oh, I mean, one a huge one that I see a lot of on the because I went through all these cosplay subreddits, just kind of like learning, is that there were so many white people who were like, I really want to cosplay as Miles Morales. Hmm. And while it might be okay to don the costume, it is not okay to race face, like, like you mentioned, Isa. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain characters whose inherent existence or themes can be highly problematic if a white person cosplays as them, like Pocahontas, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Or if, like, Aladdin, like another one, given, you know, the conversation that we've had so far. and. Mm-hmm you know, the origins of the Aladdin animated movie and the music in it and its Orientalist sort of roots. Um, But kind of having a conversation within uh, before you actually go and engage in a cosplay product or make a character or try to dress up as your character is super important. Uh, And the last one is like, you know, when you are dealing with people 
within your circle and you feel comfortable enough to do this, like you folks said, call in before you call out, you know, have a conversation before, you know, you immediately jump to anger within your friend groups, right? Because there is so much more at play. There is so much to be discussed. Uh, and there's also so much to learn, right? And if we're constantly attacking each other over these things without providing, you know, resources or actionable ways to improve, then nobody grows, mm. right? And we only further sort of increase this divide between, you know, all of these different communities. Um, I don't say this as just POCs versus white people, but I also say this within POC communities. I'm talking about like the diaspora and how people who are of the diaspora and people of their sort of like their, their country of origin are also like, there are also a lot of, there's a lot of tension there as well. I think having conversations about perspective and understanding, I think are really important to everyone kind of moving forward um, to obviously being more accepting of others and being more inclusive and being more respectful. I think it might be a good idea for us to do an episode on how to ask a question to the community. Because <laughs> yeah. I, th I think that's something that's come up. That's kind of that. been a theme here. Um, let's, let's, let's do that. If, if I mean, Pooja and Issa, if you two are interested in joining us for that sort of episode. Yeah. Um, That'd be great. Let me know. Um, yeah. but, but that said, I, I want to, you know, thank the two of you for joining Steve and I for this, the first episode of 2022. Woo! Um, First episode of 2022, and we're starting off really heavy. Let's be, yeah. let's be honest, we're off real heavy. Um, this season of Asians Represent is going to be a big one. I think we're, we're only improving. We're only getting better, um, and I'm excited. Uh, now, that said, a lot of knowledge was dropped, and you folks also drop a lot of knowledge on your social media and your projects, and you're just awesome. So where can people find you on the Internet? I mean, we have it on our video overlay, but for those who are listening to the audio, where can people find you on the internet? What are what? Where can they go to learn more about you and uh, and maybe hire you if you if you freelance and do that sort of stuff? Let's start with you, Pooja. I have been Pooja. I will continue to be Pooja, and you can find me on Twitter at la daisy girl. That's l a d e s i girl, and pretty much all the other socials is forgotten saves. I play TTRPGs on the Twelve Sided Stories podcast, and also streaming sometimes on Happy Jack's RPG, and sometimes on It's Probably Okay's Twitch channel, and sometimes on Utopia. I just ping pong ball around. <laughs> no, you're everywhere. Um, That's awesome. But I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's been a really great discussion. Yeah, no, thank thank you for for agreeing to this episode. Thanks for like, you know, getting the conversation started. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, I'm also glad we got to have you back on the show, Isa. Uh, yeah. Where can people find find <laughs> you on the internet? Um, yeah, so I I've been Isa and will continue to be Isa. Uh, and if you want to find more of what I do, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Evil Clever Dog. I'm a designer and cosplayer and TTRPG streamer. And um, yeah, I make YouTube videos about cosplay and crafting stuff. I recently made a, a really cute mimic dice box. And I'm going to be I posting a, a build video of that. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, like I can, I can do streaming stuff. You can get me to be on your TTRPG streams. Uh, if you want to hire a professional cosplayer, prop maker, costume maker, I do that too. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's me. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. 
But but again, thank you for having this conversation with us. Thank you for being available, being vulnerable, and of course, you know, being open to talking about this stuff because I think we need to do more of it. Yeah, um, I mean, I I feel like looking back on it, I'm like, oh god, there's like a million other things I could have said about this topic and cosplay specifically that I just in the moment just forgot to mention and that just means so we do more episodes that's just yeah we'll just do another episode, <laughs> do another episode. i wrote down here witcher shadow and bone hey arnold um the list goes on and sonia 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 pointed out to me on twitter that my boy lewis tan got cast in shadow and bone season two so now i have to watch it oh no um, I, I gotta watch it for, for lewis tan um I just, may or may not have a massive crush on that man um <laughs> valid everyone knows so <laughs> it's no secret that's its but, own separate conversation right is like how much do we feel the need especially diaspora to like watch and support our people in the things that that they get cast in oh yeah hey, i've i've brought that up that so problematic <laughs> i've, I've brought, i mean even if they're problematic or not i've had so many people be like why haven't you watched shang chi yet i'm just like didn't feel like it yet i mean i'm all for it i also i support it i think it's awesome it looks dope i just don't want to watch a kung fu movie right now yeah but like you gotta support it um i did i bought some merch i just haven't watched it yet uh, i did watch another asian marvel movie though i watched black widow um oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> And I think we'll end and I think we'll end this interview right here. <laughs> <laughs>what what a way to kick off the year yeah that conversation right right yeah um i was uh it, it was great listening to that again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really great listening to that again um i will say for for those of you who, who missed the ending and you're watching it live and if it's on youtube uh, I'll, I'll fix the ending it'll be fine uh we signed off and i made a joke about how I hadn't watched Shang-Chi yet, but I watched another Asian Marvel movie, and then I told everyone I watched Black Widow. Um, <laughs> that was ha, ha, ha. so ha. fun. Um, I feel like I could just keep keep making that joke. Um, but yeah, I um, what a great, what a great, great conversation. Just like. Isa and, and Pooja were both just like super thoughtful and everything that they said had, it was just so thought provoking and I absolutely love it. Now there was a lot thrown around there. <laughs> There's a lot of information. There were a lot of yeah. resources. We did a lot of research ourselves. Um, and this kind of episode and the kind of work we're doing here wouldn't be possible without our amazing patrons. Um, we have a lot of people to thank for, for this. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that they are here and they support the show. I'm going to make sure that, of course, our patrons get show notes. Um, they get access to extended audio. And, of course, um, you know, they have our eternal gratitude. Um, unfortunately, normally during these episodes, I'll always bring Marla out uh, to, uh, to thank um, some of our, our patrons. Um, but during the stream, Marla had a little accident. Um, and, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let her relax a bit and we're not going to pick her up and, uh, carry her around. Um, Marla is okay. Uh, if those of you who are wondering, she had a little, she, she peed on the floor. Um, so we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that, but you know, um, 
really grateful for our patrons and really grateful for everyone who, you know, supports us and has just allowed us to have these conversations and put these out there. Now that said, the conversation should never end when the episode is over or you're done listening or watching or viewing the stream. That conversation continues wherever you are, right? Wherever you are. Um, and one place where it can continue is our Discord server. Now, during our two-ish months off, we took some time to make sure that A, like Steve did, our Discord server is upgraded better than ever. Honestly, I think it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> second- oh, we, oh, you. Oh, <laughs> nobody likes it when I compliment them. <clears throat> but oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, no, no, please compliment me more. Oh, okay. I love, I love when you compliment me. So let's put that out there. Yeah. Okay. But go on. Steve, I Steve loves compliments. Um, but, and you deserve them. Oh, there we go. Another one. Um, but that said, with the Discord upgrade comes access to the Discord. Um, now, in order to maintain sort of like our community and make sure it's safe and conversations are respectful, we have a, a sort of an onboarding process that our Discord community manager, Drew, uh, very thoughtfully came up with. Um, so if you would like to join our Discord server and you are not a member of the Discord server, um, you could head to our website, aznsrepresent.com. Uh, head to the About section and there is a form that you could fill out uh, to join the Discord server. So um, we'd love to have you there. Um, now that said, within that Discord server, we have a space that's just for our amazing patrons. Um, and uh, the folks that you see on screen, these names, incredible people incredible people who are, you know, making this show possible. Um, special shout out to, you know, our guardians of the realm. Um, those are our $10 patrons, Brooke, Bright, Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, and Daisy May. You folks are, are awesome. Um, seeing your names on, you know, the Discord server, I, it just fills me with so much joy and appreciation. And there are folks who have an added layer of appreciation because they are so honorable. And those are our most, what? <laughs> um, no, I just, I just love, I love whenever you talk about our most honorable patrons. Most honorable patrons. Um, yeah. The most honorable Metal Weave games, uh, the most honorable Valorous games. I'm going to be working with Valorous games this year on something I'm really excited about. Uh, the most honorable Dungeon Glitch slash Matt and the most honorable times two Epic Impulse. You folks make all of this possible and I'm, so grateful for that. Um, but that said, uh, I, I, I hope you folks, you know, follow Iza and Pooja, learn more from them. Um, I hope you, you know, continue having these conversations, talk to your friends, your family, and think about, I think if there's one thing you're going to take away from this episode is think about perspective. Perspective is so, so important when we're having conversations online and we don't have the luxury of speaking over voice or video like you and I are, Steve, or like we were with Isa and Pooja. Um, so when we're online, when we're talking about social media or we're seeing tweets and we're, or we're reacting to something, think about perspective. Think about who we may be talking over. Think about whose perspective may be diminished and think about the imbalance of power when we are exchanging hmm. signifiers of culture. And yeah, it's so, so important. Um, but I'm looking forward to what we got next. Um, February confirmed episode for February. We're going to be talking about cyberpunk and magic, the gathering. And then at the end of the month, end of the month, Michelle, Jackie, Emma, and I 
we're going to play Commander for Bubble Team Book Club. And oh, we're, shit. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Um, we're going to use the two Kamigawa pre-constructed decks. We're going to kind of talk about the cards as they come out. And we may be doing a cool unboxing preview thing. We'll see. Okay, pretty um, cool, but, but I have to interrupt. Yeah. Do y'all role play your planeswalkers when you play? Because I definitely do. Okay, I okay. I'm gonna say this. I have one of my favorite decks. So first of all, I got my first turn three win. No, I got come my on. First turn three. You're win. So toxic. I'm so toxic. <laughs> I have. My, I got my first turn three win. I was. I have a little like. It's a super secret MTG club. We have like a league, <laughs> and we're tracking wins and stuff. Uh, it's it's wow. really fun, and um, I. Uh, uh, so the the I built a ninja deck off of a card called uh, Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow, and mm-hmm. um, it's all about just drawing cards. And I ended up drawing my win con by by turn three, uh, and it only required three mana to play, and I, I hit it because everyone had been tapped out. Um, but yeah, super excited. Now I will show you one thing actually before we end. It's cool. Okay, okay, I, okay, I promise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise it's cool. I actually just got in the mail. I haven't posted about this on social media or anything, but I Ooh. wanted to uh, to show everyone. Let me just go back to this one where our videos. So I've got my binder of magic cards that are not in decks. Um, but I got my one of my dream cards. Came in the mail. No. Okay. Uh, this is a thing I treated myself to. Um, so I got, and I'll do the hand thing because I, I know you taught me how to do this. Uh, I got a near mint. Portal Three <gasps> Kingdoms, Guan Yu, Sainted Warrior. It's gorgeous. It's, it's wonderful. It's uh, it's beautiful. I am um, I have a lot of thoughts about magic and examples of things they've done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are actually, if you go and look at the Watsi blogs about um the Global Series Dual Deck, they talk about how they're like there are stories that we cannot tell. And we turn to our Chinese little, our Chinese office to work with us to make this. And I'm just like, why can't everything be like that? Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about that next month. But yeah, I'm s- s- so happy that I got this. Like, I can't. I, I'm jealous. I, this I, is great. I'm so happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that said, thank you folks for tuning in to this episode of Asians Represent. Um, grateful to have you here. Grateful to be back. Grateful for you, Steve. Oh, and uh, let's just do some more good this year, and maybe win a third any. We kicked this off so great, and I yeah. cannot wait for the rest that we got for going this year. Mm-hmm.